It's the Human Construction Site. The Human Construction Site Podcast. It's the Human Construction Site. It's the Human Construction Site Podcast. My name is Joey Hernandez. I've been a personal trainer for over 30 years. I've trained hundreds of clients doing thousands of workouts, and now I'm host of a podcast and blog. I want to be your personal trainer right here, online, behind this microphone. So come on, join me each week. We may be getting older, but we ain't going down without a fight. Hey, my friends, this is Joey Hernandez with the Human Construction Site Podcasts. You're listening to episode number 55, The Most Dangerous Body Fat. So, folks, with just a few days until the unofficial start of summer, We're going to be spending a little bit more time talking about diet and body fat and weight loss in these next few episodes. At this point, where I would like you to be is I would hope that you have reviewed podcast number 42, which is the best diet, and that has outlined the weight loss diet that I have used when I lost 83 pounds back around 1980, and I worked with that diet and designed it to be ready for clients that wanted to lose weight, but also have enough energy to build muscle. And I've been working with this diet since 1985, and I've had a lot of success with clients over the years. So I hope that you do listen to podcast number 42, and you take some of it to heart, and you do try. I also just put a podcast last week, podcast number 54, which was called A Quick Diet, and that's for those of you that want to plunge right into the freezing waters of weight loss and try to get it done as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And I gave you 10 hints, 10 things that you can do to bring your weight loss to a faster rate. Today, we're going to talk about a very important subject, but, you know, don't I always say every subject is important? but I wouldn't be doing a podcast about it if I didn't think that it was important. Back when we talked in podcast number 51 about metabolic syndrome, we talked about the different types of body fat and one of the ways that you can analyze whether or not you might have metabolic syndrome was to talk about waist circumference and be able to measure your overall body fat. And today we're going to break it down a little bit more and talk specifically about what is the most dangerous body fat to have, which is the visceral body fat. That's the body fat that deposits underneath the muscles of the abdominal area and pads your organs like it's supposed to, but when there's too much, it tends to push out, get its fattiness in through your organs, and you can end up with a condition known as diastasis recti. And we're going to talk quite a bit about this visceral body fat, whether or not you could possibly have this condition, diastasis recti, and what you can do about it. So, episode number 55, The Most Dangerous Body Fat, as soon as we're back. 
Hey folks, Joey Hernandez here of the Human Construction Site podcast, and this is a pre-recorded disclaimer that I'm going to insert into each episode of the podcast. So please give me just a moment of your listening time and listen to this disclaimer. First of all, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Human Construction Site podcast. I hope that the information that you receive from the podcast is unique and useful to you in your quest to live a healthier and more vibrant life. I have been a personal trainer for over 30 years. This podcast and the Human Construction Site blog that it is tied to are based on my opinions and my experience working with clients all these years. I am not, 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 not a doctor. I ask that any and all information that you receive from me, as well as anywhere else on the internet, or on TV, or on websites, books, wherever the source, that you discuss that and review it with your personal physician before implementing any kind of lifestyle changes. Your doctor knows you best. He or she knows your personal medical history, knows your medications, your family's history, and together you with your physician should have a dialogue to ensure that any changes are right for you. So please, 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 please consult your doctor. Thank you. And now back to the show. You know, folks, there are a lot of really good reasons why you should reduce your body fat, no matter what kind of body fat that you have. And in the podcast uh, number 43, when I was talking about motivation, I was saying that physical appearance is a perfectly fine motivating factor. As a matter of fact, in the years that I've been doing training, I would have to say that physical appearance is the number one motivator for getting yourself to improve your diet and to get yourself onto a good fitness program that you can sustain throughout your life. And there is nothing wrong with physical appearance being that main factor. You're going to hear from a lot of sources that, no, you should be looking at your overall health, you should be listening to what your doctor says, and if your doctor says you should lose weight, then you should lose weight. There are a variety of reasons that have been established as to why one should go about reducing your body fat and try to have a nice body fat that falls within a normal range. However, as I've said in other podcasts, when you hear things from your doctor, when you read things in a book, when you see things on TV, it's not going to be as applicable to you as you would think it would be. Your doctor merely telling you, you know what, you should drop some weight. Many doctors will say that to us, right? We've heard that before and we'll hear it again. It's like when you smoke cigarettes, your doctor says you should stop smoking and you go, yes, I know I should stop smoking. And then sure enough, the next visit or a year later or whenever it is that you next see your doctor, your doctor may ask about your smoking. You say, yes, I'm still smoking. And your doctor once again says, you know, you should stop smoking. And it's really the same thing with weight loss. 
unless you fall into the small parameters of someone that has to lose maybe 10 or 15 pounds and your doctor alerts you to that fact, you may not know it. However, for most of us, let's face it, we take our clothes off, we look in the mirror, and we know if we need to lose weight or we don't need to lose weight. And for most of us, our doctor telling us, yes, you need to lose weight is not going to be enough incentive. And that's why I've always said that physical appearance gets a bad rap where weight loss is concerned. You know, you hear from people that it shouldn't be for appearance sake. It should be for your overall health. It should be for more longevity in your life. You should be able to have more energy. You should be living a lifestyle that enables you to age in a better way. However, all of those things, while they sound really nice, are not concrete things that we can see. Sometimes when we have certain tests done by doctors and then we make a, a change to our lifestyle, we have those tests run again, we might see an improvement. So we're told from our doctor, yes, you're moving in the right direction. But for most of us, when you hear about all these other reasons why one should exercise and lose weight, it's not necessarily going to be the thing that gets you up off the couch and moving. What does is the changes in your physical appearance. And as I've said before, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If that is the motivating factor that gets you to move forward in the right direction, all of those other things will fall into place. All of those other reasons why losing weight and becoming fit will come along after you get that one big motivating factor that gets you started. And when we look at our appearance, when we look at the physical appearance that we have, as we train and as we lose weight, that image, that impression that we see in the mirror is going to be moving forward. And that fuels us to try even harder and to keep going. The downside of that is when you have the kind of body fat that is not visible to your eye. And that's when it goes back to testing and information that you could receive from your doctor to indicate that you in fact do have body fat that you need to lose, but you're just not realizing that you have it because you are not able to see it visually. Now, we do have tools now that we can test ourselves. There are a couple of things that can help us to evaluate whether or not we have this dangerous visceral body fat. So let me again just quickly review the two basic types of fat and how they deposit on the body. The first one is subcutaneous fat, the fat that is underneath the skin but is on top of the muscles. That is the fat that you usually will see in the mirror, and that is the fat that you can grab with your hands and pinch a big chunk of it. That is subcutaneous body fat. Most of us have it. Sometimes we have it in excess, and we realize that, and we have to diet it down. But for those of us that have a tighter subcutaneous amount of body fat, we don't carry that much. We naturally assume when we look in the mirror, we don't see this excess hanging off us. We just naturally assume that our body fat is in a good range. But the most dangerous type of body fat, this visceral body fat, is underneath the muscles and is throughout our core. 
And once again, it is natural to have some fat there. You can think of it more or less that it keeps your organs from banging together. But when you have excessive visceral fat, which is stored around your internal organs in your stomach region, the problem is, is that too much around your organs can interfere with how your liver functions. This can lead to the insulin resistance that I talked about in the metabolic syndrome podcast. It can also start you on the road to type 2 diabetes. You can have high blood pressure. You can have higher cholesterol levels. And you definitely have a higher risk for coronary artery disease. They've now showed that when you have more visceral body fat in your body, that you are more susceptible to long-term coronary problems. There are two easy methods to help you establish whether you might be prone to visceral fat. And if you do in fact have it, if you suspect you have it, I do want you to see your physician and have a discussion. You know, I always will say that. But ways that you can begin to kind of get an idea yourself is waist circumference. When you put a tape measure around your waist, right at the navel, if you then get a measurement with your abs in a relaxed way, if you get a measurement, if you are a male, if it's over 40 inches, or if you're female, if you're over 35 inches, then that is one indication that you may in fact have visceral body fat. A second way to do it is to use the new scales that now have the bioelectrical impedance body fat measurement along with your weight. And when you get on one of those scales, you get a little tiny undetectable electrical current through you and you'll get a body fat reading. And there is a chart that I'm going to post onto the main blog, which is the human construction site dot blogspot.com and it's going to give indications of male and female based on your age the range that you should fall into and i usually will say for most men you should try to have it under 20 percent if you're under 20 percent you're really only in a good range you can always improve that but if you're someone that has a 26 percent body fat or a 27 percent body fat just getting it under that 20% is going to make a big difference, both to your appearance and to your overall health. And for women, if you can try to get that under 29 or so, then you are going to be in a good range. Women carry more body fat naturally than men do because of childbearing. Now, the main reason why I am making a podcast unto itself about this subject is that there is a condition that can develop for people that have too much visceral body fat. It applies mostly to men, and it applies regarding fitness and extreme exercise. If you are someone that has worked out a lot for years at a time, that you've been doing some sort of weight resistance training, you've been doing some cardio training, and you've been doing some abdominal work, if you, in fact, don't have the best eating plan going, and that can be the case of people that are trying to bulk up, people that are trying to put on size quickly will eat a lot of calories, they'll take in a lot of food, and they know that that's going to give them the energy to lift heavier. It's also going to give them 
a larger size appearance. And, you know, when you're clothed, sometimes when you see someone that's of a larger size, you may not be able to determine if that's in fact due to musculature or if it's due to body fat. So if you're wearing clothes and you have some of the other areas developed well, your chest is larger than your stomach, your arms are large, your legs are large, and your pants kind of fit tight around your thighs. When you see those larger body parts offset by a smaller waist, then most people naturally assume that here's a guy that works out and he's built his muscles very nicely and he has a great appearance. And so a lot of people, especially younger guys from 20 up to probably close to 40, will try to bulk up in different times during the year. So you might increase your calories, increase your food, get this larger size. You have now the energy and the padding around your muscles to lift weights heavier so you can put on some muscle mass. And then when the better weather right about this time of year comes around, that's when guys start to diet down a little bit to pull a little bit of that excessive fat off, but leave themselves with a larger appearance. Now, once you go over 40, everything begins to change. If you have been doing that kind of thing when you were younger, you are eating a lot of food, taking a lot of calories, knowing that your body was going to put on some body fat, but some muscle as well, that as you diet it down and you bulk up and you diet down and you bulk up, as you train aggressively and work your abdominal area, your body is not able to deposit that subcutaneous fat on your midsection as much. Because you're constantly moving, you're constantly contracting the muscle, you're putting sometimes resistance beyond just your body weight onto that area, so the muscles develop nicely. But when you eat the excessive calories so that you are not burning off all of the food that you take in, your body's storing some of that. The only way that it can store is to begin to do it in a visceral fat deposit. By having your body build up the body fat behind the muscle, that is your body's way of dealing with these excessive calories because it can't do it subcutaneously. It can't do it between the muscle and the skin because you are constantly working those muscles in your ab area. And so as you continue along year after year of doing this process of overeating and bulking up and then dieting down a little bit and repeating it over and over, you get more and more fat increase in this visceral fat area. And there are many bodybuilders all the way up to the professional bodybuilder level that in the off season when they are eating excessive calories they will still have the outline of a six-pack in their abs, even though their abs are protruding out. And they're protruding out partially because of the development of the abs, but a big factor is because of the visceral fat that is behind the muscles. So just because you can look in the mirror and see a little bit of that outline of a six-pack doesn't mean that you don't have visceral fat. In fact, it could be a very big indicator that you do if your stomach still sticks out 
Now, everybody's abs are going to stick out if you just relax the muscle and just let it go. That's natural. But if you're standing fairly straight, you have your abs pulled in somewhat, enough that you can see the beginning of that six-pack in the mirror, yet you still have protruding abs, it's a very good indicator that you have built up visceral fat. Now, the problem that men are encountering with this is that as you continue to work the abs and force the visceral fat to increase, as the visceral fat builds out further and further, it's pushing your six-pack abs, the rectus abdominis, it's pushing it out and it's separating it in the center. This is a condition called diastasis recti. This is something that is very common in men that work out a lot. It can be common in men that don't work out, but just naturally accumulate fat deposits behind the muscle. And it can also be very common with women that have recently had children or have had multiple births over years or especially for women that have carried more than one child at a time. Body fat building behind the muscle is the same as having a child grow. It's forcing out enough that it separates this um, rectus abdominis muscle that goes down the center. That's the one that develops into the six-pack. And in the center between that muscle is some connective tissue known as the linea alba. And as you get more and more fat or child or combination thereof building behind these muscles, as it pushes out the muscle, this connective tissue is stretched. And sometimes it stretched to the point where it gets very thin. And, and at times it's even broken or gotten a little tear in it. But for most people, it just really stretches out. Now, for men, men would carry visceral fat long term, and it would be building year after year if you eat a poor diet. For women, you have your baby, you carry your baby for nine months, then you have the child, and you suddenly get all of that pushing released because the child is no longer there. So you have a much better chance of your rectus abdominis muscle reconnecting and pushing together more once you've had the child because it's only been stretched out for the amount of time you've been pregnant. However, for men that keep eating this poor diet, bulking up all the time, trying to get bigger and bigger, you're forcing that connective tissue to get thinner and pushing it out further and further. And what happens is, the separation is known as diastasis recti. And one of the ways that you can figure out if in fact you have this is if you lie down on your back, this is true of men or women, if you lie down on your back on the floor, you bring your feet flat with your knees bent like you're going to do a crunch. You put your arms behind your head and you slowly lift your shoulders up off the floor, leaving your feet down on the floor but just lifting your shoulders like you're doing an upper crunch. If you see a protrusion right in the center line of your, your abs, if you see it tenting out when you curl up 
And then when you go back down to the floor, it contracts back. Then you curl up again, it tents back out. It comes back in as you go down. That's increased abdominal pressure. That's why it's pushing out in that connective tissue that holds the muscle together. And as men get more and more visceral fat, and as they work their abs more and more doing crunches, which is, you know, the ab exercise that most of us have learned to do, it's very effective. As we continue to do that, what's happening is we're straining that connective tissue constantly. And that tenting out, the pressure pushing it out in that central line is going to increase more and more as our fat builds and as we continue to do aggressive abdominal work. For women, you can also see this happening if you've already had the child and you're laying down on the floor and you do this small movement where you're lifting your shoulders up, you may see a small tenting as well. It tends to be more noticeable in men than it does women, but it's really a case-by-case with different people. It is not uncommon for many people to think that they have a hernia when they see this. And that may, in fact, be true. If you do see this protrusion when you curl up and it releases as you come back down to the floor and the resistance is off of your ab muscles, it goes away. I want you to go to your doctor and show your doctor what this is, how you've done this and what happens. Your doctor will be probably fairly familiar with diastasis recti. Just for your own knowledge, it is not a dangerous condition in any way. It is more a visual condition. It is certainly going to be an indicator to you, though, that you have excessive visceral fat, and therefore you have to do something about that visceral fat. And we'll get to that in just a second. But back to about hernias. It is possible that there is a hernia there, or it could be in combination with diastasis recti and a hernia. And that's why just doing this self-diagnosis and seeing, oh yeah, there is a protrusion there, I guess I should do something about my diet, that doesn't rule out the fact that you may in fact have some kind of hernia. So you need to go to your doctor and be evaluated for that. Your doctor may just do a quick visual to you and a test and see the situation. And after the examination, your doctor may opt to have you have an ultrasound to determine whether or not you do in fact have a hernia, or the doctor may just give you some recommendations that yes, you do have the diastasis recti. It's not an uncommon condition, and there are steps that you can do to improve it. However, The key here is to improve it. For most people, that once that is separated, that connective tissue is separated and thinned out, it's very hard for the connective tissue to come back together. You have to do some work to get it there. And I want you to know that it is a livable condition. It is not dangerous. I would just want you to let your doctor discuss it with you. The only option really you have to completely get rid of it is to have plastic surgery. And in most cases, insurance does not cover that. It would be an out-of-pocket expense 
because it is considered to be a cosmetic procedure because it is not dangerous unto itself. The diastasis recti, also known as abdominal separation, is generally defined as a gap of roughly 2.7 centimeters or greater between the two sides of the rectus abdominis muscle. In inches, it's 1.06 inches or greater. A way for you to just generally understand the separation between your rectus abdominis, and just so you know, everybody has some separation there. It's a natural occurrence. It's just usually in a smaller gap. If you lay down on the floor again, like you were going to do that crunch, if you lift your shoulders up very slightly and you can take a finger and place a finger between the two sides of the muscle, you have to put your finger and push pretty hard against your abs. If you can fit one finger, maybe two fingers in the gap, that would be a normal expanse. If you can do easily do two fingers, maybe even three or more, then that's an indication that you do in fact have diastasis recti because a gap of more than 1.06 inches is the defining factor of whether or not you have diastasis recti. And just for your own knowledge, this can occur also in newborns and that would be something that your pediatrician or your obstetrician would talk to you about if you recently had a child and they suspect that it has this separation. It just means the muscle hasn't grown together properly, and there are things that can be done about that. But let's talk about ways that you can try to begin to correct diastasis recti. And there is... Um, discussion in the medical community whether or not it can be fixed or whether it can't be fixed. Um, I can tell you from my own experience that is this is something that I have personally had. And it is something that when I gain a little bit too much weight, it begins to show again with that tenting of the pressure as I do abdominal work. So it's incentive to me and a way of tracking my body fat also to make sure that I'm keeping my body fat down low enough that when I do an ab exercise, I don't get that constant tenting of pressure. By reducing the visceral body fat, this fat that is underneath the ab muscles, you will decrease your abdominal pressure overall. And that tenting effect comes from the abdominal pressure pushing out. For women where the pregnancy is concerned, it's important to note that you do not test yourself or be evaluated for this while you're pregnant. It is natural for your abs and your navel to push out as the child is growing. It is assessed about eight to 10 weeks after you have your child. That is when your muscles should begin to pull back together naturally. But if it's been stretched beyond the capacity to be able to come back naturally, that's when you will develop diastasis recti and you begin to do things to help the condition improve. And for women that have developed it because you were pregnant, once the child is out of you, and you begin to drop your baby weight, 
quote unquote, right? The, the excessive body fat that you put on to naturally carry a child, to feed the child and nourish the child. As that body fat reduces, because most women will go on to a, a weight loss diet once you finish having the child. And as you decrease that fat, you may already have a natural correction to diastasis recti, reducing your body fat and having the child having been born. That may be enough for your muscle to naturally pull back together. It is the case in most cases. It's when you continue to have excessive body fat and you don't lose your baby weight, or if, again, you had a very large child that was birthed or multiple children at the same time, that you're going to be stretched beyond what would be your natural stretching in a pregnancy. So let's say that your circumference of your waist is greater than 35 if you're a woman, greater than 40 if you're a man, or you lay down on the floor and you lift your shoulders up like you're going to do a crunch and you see that tenting out of abdominal pressure, if any of those things are occurring, I want you to go talk to your doctor. All right. It's important to establish if, in fact, you have it, and it's especially important to rule out whether or not you have a hernia associated with it. Now, how we go about correcting the problem once we have seen our doctor, they're like, yeah, you do have diastasis recti, nothing you can do about it. You can lose some weight. Hopefully that'll help, but there's nothing you can do besides plastic surgery. That is what has been told to me by three doctors that I had seen. But there are some things that can be done to help begin to correct it. The first thing is to get yourself on a healthy, nutritious eating program. That would be something that would be lower in carbohydrates and lower in fats with a lot of fruits and vegetables and whole grains so that you are keeping down the body fat that could additionally build and you're restricting your calories enough that you are going to begin to burn some body fat. Now you can specifically target the visceral body fat. Some studies have shown and I say some studies have shown with a grain of salt. If you are doing cardiovascular work, light resistance training, in addition to working on a more nutritious and calorie restricted diet, all of those factors together, you have a much better chance of burning your visceral body fat. The cardiovascular work, especially coupled with the diet together, can help burn that visceral body fat. The recommendation is for you to exercise at least 60 minutes per day. That will help you lose and manage this visceral body fat. A weight loss of 5 to 10% of your total body weight can help begin to reduce the visceral body fat storage that has been occurring. The only way to reduce this visceral body fat, just like eliminating any body fat on the body, is by burning more calories than you are taking in. So if the physical appearance we know is the number one motivating factor, when you see your abdominal area protruding, and if in fact you also 
are coupled with having diastasis recti, that's obviously going to chip away at that number one motivating factor. You're not going to be happy with your appearance. So in order for us to stay fueled and motivated and psyched to keep going, we want to attack this as best we can. So the first line of defense is going to be the change of the diet. The second line of defense is to couple it with cardiovascular work and resistance training. The third thing is I want you to be very careful of abdominal work because the normal work where you do crunches, you do leg lifts, variety of things like that will just make this situation worse if you have that interabdominal pressure. In fact, if you're laying in bed and you go to get up in the morning and you go to sit up in bed, just that amount of movement, you may see the protrusion of your interabdominal pressure in that center line. That is an indication that you might have diastasis recti. In fact, it, it probably, you can assume that you do if you just see that from trying to sit up in bed. So part of it is restricting the movements that will just make the situation worse. So if you're used to sitting up in bed like you're doing and you do see that protrusion happening, one of the things that you can begin to do is in, don't sit up in bed. Roll to your side kick your legs over to the floor, slowly sit up in bed, and then stand up. Instead of doing the sitting up like almost like you were doing an old-fashioned sit-up, that's just going to make the situation worse. Same thing with crunches. If you have been doing an aggressive abdominal program, you're going to want to restrict your movements until you've lost enough body fat and you've been assessed whether or not it's a hernia or diastasis recti, and you're going to be limited to the exercises that you can do until that connective tissue, the linea alba in the center, begins to thicken and repair and pull back together. I'm going to post on the website photos of what the center line protrusion looks like in people, so you can begin to see what I'm talking about. I'm going to post a chart of the correct body fat that you should have based on your sex and by your age. And I'm also going to give a link to a site that will talk to you about different exercises that you can begin to do and at what point in the repair process you can begin to do these exercises. Uh, this is an outside site. I'm just going to give you a link to it. The last thing I want to mention on this is there are some companies that have developed a binder like a girdle that you put on and it pulls the two sections of your rectus abdominis together a little bit more and takes the pressure off of the connective tissue and over time by wearing this binding around you and tightening it more as you go along as you lose your body fat some people have found that it helps allow the connective tissue to regrow and get thicker and thereby it will hold the two sections of the rectus abdominis muscle together better. That I can't say is a proven method and it only works with some people. And before you were to do something like that, because it's very restrictive, the binding is very tight 
It's very difficult to move. It's very difficult to breathe deeply. It's very difficult to eat when you're wearing this. If you see any of those things advertised and you're considering doing that, again, talk to your doctor about it before you do it because it only works with some people and it's very restrictive to your movements. And it would be important for your doctor to know that you're going to be doing or you're considering doing this kind of thing because it's very tight around your midsection and it pulls your muscle together, but it puts a lot of pressure overall on your torso. So do have a discussion with your doctor before you consider doing one of those binders. So gosh, if we didn't have enough incentive before to reduce our body fat, here's yet another really important reason to do it. So folks, it's always a good idea to get one of those body fat scales that can not only do your weight, but give you your body fat percentage and your overall body fat in poundage. Just be aware, as I've said before, that they are an approximation. They are not scientifically perfect, and they often are tied to the amount of hydration you have in your body. If you drink excessive, excessive amounts of water, what will happen is your scale cannot tell the difference between body fat and water, and it will read it as body fat. It's important to stay hydrated. I'm not saying don't stay hydrated. I want you to, but just be aware that it does, in fact, at times affect the scale. The scale is an approximation, and you should only use it as a guideline to how you are making the changes in your body. In other words, if your body fat is at 25% reading, you can assume it's somewhere, somewhere in the 25% range. But then if you get on it again after a few weeks and now it's down to 24%, you can pretty much assume that you are losing body fat and you're moving in the right direction. So don't get tied to the numbers, but certainly look at which way it's moving on the scale. As long as it's going in the right direction, you're doing the right thing. So a couple podcasts ago, I gave you a challenge to lose 10 pounds by Memorial Day. I hope that you are trucking away at that. If not, you can still lose a little bit of weight. I'll always say that. It's not too late to get started. Check back on some of the earlier podcasts, especially podcast number 42, where I outline my diet. Or if you're just wanting to really get going as quickly as possible, check out last week's podcast number 54, The Quick Diet That Just Gets You Started. As always, thanks so much for joining me today. My name is Joey Hernandez. This is the Human Construction Site Podcasts. Please take a moment and subscribe either through the blog or on iTunes. We are listed as the Human Construction Site Podcasts on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, I would always appreciate a star rating or a comment. Meanwhile, I'll be back next week with more information. So keep dieting, keep working out, and I'll see you soon. Bye now.